0: Welcome, one and all, to be real, guys. It's your movie reappraising podcast, and this week, half of us are cartoon. I won't say which. I'm Chance Solem
1: Pfeiffer, and I'm Noah Ballard. How are you, buddy? I'm doing okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting weekend, and of course, today is the first day of spring. We're recording this on. Sunday, March 20th, and it is snowing here in New York City, <laughs> so everything is out of, the natural world, even, is out of whack.
0: So what brings us here today is the category of half-animated, half-live-action movies that all, maybe we can talk about this later on, but, you know, they come out between the years 1988 and 1996. There was some, there was some tinkering Going on in the in the world of of children's of children's movies,
1: it says a lot about this eight year period, just like in America and in Hollywood. I agree. And I haven't I haven't quite figured out like what it is yet, and I think it started in like a pretty legitimate place mm-hmm. with Robert Zemeckis, but it definitely took a very strange <laughs> turn in its trajectory as a genre that no longer really exists. Right. Uh, In its culmination in the now 20th year anniversary of 1996's Space Jam.
0: Right. So before we get too deep into the category, earlier this week, I called Nigel Miguel, who was a basketball technical advisor to the film, a friend of Michael Jordan's, and who's been in several basketball sequences in several 90s basketball movies, so... Whenever you're ready, Noah, I'll, let's throw to that conversation.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to hear it.
0: Well, our guest today is an actor, producer, a former UCLA basketball player and McDonald's All-American. He has appeared in such films as White Men Can't Jump, Blue Chips, Elizabeth Town, and American History X. And he was the technical basketball advisor on a little film called Space Jam, which turns 20 this year. And uh, currently, our guest is the film commissioner for the nation, his home nation of Belize. Welcome to the show, Nigel Miguel. Thanks for doing this, sir.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Chance. And um, yeah, 20 years, huh? It's hard to believe.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of people, like my age too, like mid-twenties, this movie was like an integral part of their childhood too, so it probably does seem, 20 years seems like a long time.
2: Funny that you say that because uh, people tell me that uh, Space Jam used to be their babysitter. Their quiet time for uh, when mommy needed a break, she'd pop in Space Jam.
0: That's funny. Uh, so let's start with Space Jam. How did you get I've I've read about like how you got into acting from transitioning sort of out of your playing days but how did you get the job
2: Well the the job came about because well one of uh, my relationship with MJ uh-huh. uh Michael Jordan over the years and the I was brought on through a um a friend that was working uh on the project Nate Bellamy and then the director Joe Pitka, um, at the time, uh, you know how that how, how the whole movie and everything came about was obviously uh, based off of the commercial, the Hare Jordan commercials. Right. But when we got to actually shooting the film, you know that was two months of uh, of, of work, and they were trying to do anything that would uh, make it easier for Michael. So uh, there were certain stipulations in in his contract. One that he um, wanted all the basketball to be as technical, technically sound as possible, and and which is, it, 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 you know, it's a little weird because you're dealing with animation and everything. But right. it was important that fundamentals were there, and then what they do with the Hollywood magic, you know, that that's Hollywood magic.
0: And I was watching. I'm curious what it was sort of, what was the, what was it like being on set? Cause I was watching some really kind of, oh, now they look grainy, but behind the scenes footage today of, of MJ dribbling into a crowd of like green suited men who later become, you know, the, the animated monsters. Was that sort of like Monstars. eerie being on set? monsters pardon me. Yes. I don't, I don't want fan, I don't want fans getting upset, but, uh, was was that like was it eerie being on set? Was it cool for him to be like playing basketball with these green suited men and people?
2: Well, well, it's funny that you say that because I'm actually one of those green green men. As, you are? As you put it. Yeah. You would actually act out to give him something to play off of. And then the animators would go in and off of your movements and everything and Michael's movements they would place the, uh, the characters on top of that. Mm-hmm. Was it a little airy? Um, at that time, I, I, it was more cool, like you said, than airy just because, you know, now you have so much, you know everything, you see everything. Like you said, right. the behind-the-scenes footage at that time looked a little grainy and all that because it wasn't really, um, you know, status quo or the way things were done to actually show all that was going on. But because mm-hmm. it was Michael Jordan, because it, it, it was Ivan Reitman and this Bugs Bunny, this huge um, project, um, they wanted to share and sell all about the, 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 the movie.
0: So before we get into uh, a couple, before we stray from Space Jam a little bit, what's your? Can you think of what's your best behind-the-scenes like Space Jam memory or story? Does one pop into your head when you think about twenty years back?
2: Well, the the fact that uh, I really got a chance to spend a lot of time with 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 MJ uh, because I always tell people what I'm proudest of or the, the, the things that I remember most about him is that he was always and has always been a consistent person. Um And, and I, let me clarify that with, with, you know, what I mean is that he's the type of guy that, you know, he doesn't have to be consistent and he, he always is. And, and I respect that and, and love that about him. Um, I see the way he treats people. I see the way that he's treated people over the years. And, and again, no one's perfect, but I I have to admire uh, and and respect what he's done and how he's done it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, um, my best uh, space jam moment or moment was being in the Jordan Dome and watching all these great players come through. And the camaraderie and the, uh, teamwork and just that, that NBA family. Yeah. I, I, I watched this, this, uh, sort of pecking order or, or respect that was given, um, to someone to, like Magic Johnson and even to some of like the young guys that were just coming up that, that, uh, were just happy to be a part of, you know, the Space Jam experience.
0: Let me ask you this, Nigel. People are uh, all—it seems. I mean, this happens with a lot of like you know film properties from the '80s and '90s. It seems like today, like you can you can think of a million examples of like there's always sort of like talk in the works for sequels, and Space Jam has that talk surrounding it as well. I'm curious, from like an outside perspective, but also you know you're someone who, who is a producer and is an observer of like the film industry. What do you think would be like the biggest challenge of a of attempting a space jam sequel because i could see it going two ways would it be trying to recapture the novelty of the cartoons and the humans interacting which a lot of people really liked at the time or would it be trying to find someone who can match the public's interest in michael jordan because i mean as famous as you know lebron james is i don't know if the public enthusiasm is as great for anyone as it might have been for michael what do you think
2: well, the, the novelty thing is the, 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 the main thing, and the fact that the timing of the original uh, project was impeccable. You know, you had the sure greatest name in sports at that time, in, in MJ, and the fact that you had never seen or done anything like, like this, um, I know people compare Roger Rabbit a little bit to it, but there were some uh, some differences. Mm-hmm. And then Roger Rabbit didn't have, you know, Michael. You know, you got Michael and Bugs, right? Uh, two superstars in in their own right, coming together to, to to do this. So that's the toughest thing. And then to um, LeBron is a star. He's, 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 he's a global star, and that's the name I, I hear most attached to the possibility right. of, of a second space jam. Um, it would have to be so different because if you just do it, all they're going to say is that you're doing, you know, you're just copying, right. retreading the original. And to actually make this thing go, there has to be some type of twist.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, to it to to, to make a difference. So that that's where the uh, the rub the rub is. Um, can it be done? I I I believe with all the creative minds over at Warner Brothers, yeah, it, it could be. But I, I would say this: that MJ would have to be a part of that project somehow. Totally, you know, as it be passing the torch, or you know, something to do with that storyline. And I'm not sure if 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 um if he's interested or or willing in t- to to come back to it.
0: Let's uh I got a couple more non Space Jam ones for you because I kind of want to get into some other uh, 90s basketball movies that you were a part of. I'm curious, Nigel, as as a player, an actor, a producer, what movie has your favorite actual basketball sequences in it? And I ask because I was. You're in White Man Can't Jump and I was rewatching that the other day. That movie has some the basketball in that movie is almost choreographed like dance. It's really beautiful and I wonder if um I I wonder what uh what's what's your favorite?
2: Well, you hear it White Man Can't Jump because it is and that that's where I really learned um well, some commercials too, but how the technical aspect of Making things work for the camera, great. But still yeah. not making it too corny to where people are saying, ah, you know. The thing with that casting has a lot to do with it. Everybody in that in that in that movie had some type of basketball skills. Uh-huh. the levels of the of, of the skill levels of the individual, you know, went way up to 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 to, 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 to lesser. But we didn't have anybody that you know couldn't play basketball so that that that's the first thing and then the director ryan shelton who is an amazing
0: uh made a ton of sports movies
2: yeah and that's what i was gonna say he's passionate about sports man i mean before white man can't jump hit the uh hit the screen we used to play at the hollywood ymca and you know every every actor uh in the city that could play to come through there i mean it's, it's, at the point i mean the biggest name that was there at the time was denzel washington oh wow you know ron talk, ron talked to denzel about actually playing the part but you know not that denzel didn't want to do it he had other things and obviously you know wesley did a fine job but I, I could remember Tom Sizemore being in there uh, from time to time. Arsenio Hall uh, would, would 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 come there and, and and you know work on his game and everything. But there was a lot of you know name uh, individuals that 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 would come through and that came through during that period of what I would say pre Space Jam.
0: Alright, well thanks so much to Nigel for his time on this episode of the podcast, for the context, and for the look back at the making of Space Jam 20 years ago. And now we're going to transition to the part of the show where Noah and I reappraise these movies. We're going to talk about what holds up in 2016 from the perspective of an adult watching Space Jam, The Pagemaster, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
1: Right, and I'd also like to comment on the fact that hearing Nigel say MJ was almost as, like, a weird 90s feeling as hearing David Schwimmer say Juice. Love it. Because, like, at this time, he was, like, such a huge celebrity, and the movie counts on this,
2: Oh, is the fact that yeah. he's
1: such, he's, like, the maybe, like, top five, like, American celebrities at this point. And now he's, like, in, he's super obscure, like, in the, in 2016, 20 years later.
0: Yeah, partially because of his own choices, I think, and the fact that he just, oh, just gone on to be owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Like, he's kind of, and every once in a while he gives a white guy a funny look in a Haynes commercial, but... Yeah, he's sort of chosen yeah. like a post-playing career that belies exactly what Space Jam tried to do with him, right. I would say.
1: Right. Well, the argument I'm trying to make is like as we get into Space Jam here is the fact that if Michael Jordan is not the top five celebrity in your life, this movie like is a very strange watch. <laughs>
0: Right, I would agree with that as well.
1: Because it is just highlighting the narrative and, like, sort of poking... It's a speculative history of what Michael Jordan's time playing baseball was actually like for him emotionally. It's true. But that's such a, an obscure, like, a biopic moment for anyone. Yeah, you're right. It
0: starts with those biopic elements of Michael Jordan, and this is a movie that came out after MJ had come back and won his first title, I believe. The second of the Bulls three-peats. But it goes back to his struggles in the minor leagues playing baseball and kind of hinges on like whether he's a character who, in his soul, like wants to play basketball again. So that's what's happening in the world where people exist. While Michael was playing baseball... Uh, Danny DeVito is voicing basically an alien Donald Trump on a faraway planet who uh, owns what the theme park is Moron Mountain, I think. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This this movie just cannot... I don't even know like what sort of a creative choice it is to call the evil theme bark upon which your movie will be set, Moron Man.
0: It's like something that Bill Watterson would draft up in Calvin and Hobbes and then cross out. Um, and Danny DeVito has this little team of tiny aliens who he <laughs> sends out... <laughs> I can't describe this movie.
1: We That's why I thought I would give you the responsibility. Cause it's so the premise of this movie is so weird and also so flimsy. To promote to promote
0: his theme park, he needs like some sort of spectacular athletic contest. So these tiny aliens go to what the center of the earth where Looney Tunes live?
1: Well, that's the thing. Like The movie spends a lot of time figuring out a situation in which <laughs> Michael Jordan can play <laughs> basketball with the Looney Tunes as his team against monsters in outer space.
0: Right. Well, the game, though, is in the center of the Earth, not in outer space.
1: Right. That, let that distinction be made.
0: Because I... Watched this movie with my good friend, Tim, and my girlfriend, Sarah. And at the very beginning, I turned to them and I said, does the jam, in fact, take place in space?
1: (laughs) Which is a (laughs) question that
0: was not answered till the very end. And the answer, I'm afraid, is no.
1: (laughs) Because watching this movie as a kid, like... Um, Nigel was right in that It like was a movie that you watched At least for my age demographic As like a movie On a Saturday afternoon so your mom could like Read a book and like you would sit there It was not just, like It's just mindless entertainment Like in the most like Simple form
0: It's really like sugary cereal in movie form Right, like, right. Okay how about there's a thing in Roger Rabbit Where Christopher Lloyd is like, he says part of his evil plan for kind of wrangling in Toontown is like, I want to stop some of what you might call the insanity. And that like really resonated with me having (laughs) just watched Space Jam because this movie is nothing but like crazy faces attacking the quote unquote camera. right? And just like their eyes and like the capillaries in their eyes like bulging out at you. It's just visually, it's crazy.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's an well that's the thing with twenty years having gone by looking back at this movie, it's like this movie's nuts. Yeah. Um and that's what the funny thing was, like, could you reboot this movie for LeBron or something like that? And it's just like No, you absolutely couldn't put a celebrity from today in a movie like this.
0: And this is one of the interesting things. Nigel made this point about like, you need the timing to be right. Not only did this perfectly coincide with Michael Jordan's return to basketball, where he became even more famous than he was the first time. Like if LeBron did this today, he would just be like making it and hoping that he wins a championship the next season, which he probably wouldn't but here's it's also a crucial sort of period piece. I think the enthusiasm for wanting to see Michael Jordan on screen doing these crazy things for so long is because we didn't have constant access to celebrities. Nobody wants to see LeBron James just like be on screen for ninety minutes when he has Instagram. You know what I
1: mean right We're just and that's getting the thing. so it's much a more very... of him. it's yeah, it's a very weird. It it is the equivalent of, like, a viral marketing campaign, just, like, in 1996's sort of, like, baggy corporate suit.
0: There is something about the Endeavor, like, on the positive side, that it. I think if you're, like, a kid, maybe this makes the cartoons that you've grown up or just spent the last couple years watching feel so much more alive because they're interacting with a celebrity who you've never seen do anything but... Commercials and Basketball like there's something about This endeavor that like critics liked This movie too
1: It's so funny because it's It's so shame like what I do Like about it is it's so shameless And like what it is trying to Do that you can't help but like Sort of sigh and let it wash over You but yeah It's just it's almost like Watching old it's like watching one Long old commercial like Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny like how people thought back then.
0: What did you like about it as a little kid? Cause I'd never seen it before, which we talked about this, but this is great. I'm a huge NBA fan and I'd never seen this movie.
1: I think I just liked the like cultural thing it represented. Like just, you know, being in touch with like mainstream media. Like, I don't think it was, <laughs> I don't think I was ever like, it's the same way. Like my brother, you know, who's much younger than me. will talk about Instagram, like in 20 years, mm. like, kind of embarrassed that he participated in it, but, like, it was fun at the time. This this girl, five feet
2: nothing, blocked my shot. When did you first start having this dream? It wasn't a dream. It really happened. Maybe.
1: You know what I love about this movie is the idea that it was probably the moment for, like, studio executives to, like, really give Charles Barkley a shot to, like, talk to people in any capacity.
0: Yeah, and look how that turned out. He became, like, a post-career media celebrity.
1: Right, and he is incredible in this movie. He's the only NBA player that actually, like, attempts a performance. Right. I mean, this movie was made for the same viewer, I think, that would ultimately read Sports Illustrated for Kids. Beautiful. It's But it's the same thing. It's, like, a very, like, glossed-over narrative of, like, sports culture. It's not, like, in-depth reporting about, like anything. It's just, isn't Derek Jeter cool?
0: Yes. Well, that's funny you say that because like one of the other things about the, about the basketball game, like they are keeping score and you get the sense that like the tunes like mount a comeback, but the actual, it's not like Michael Jordan like has a killer crossover and you know because the movie set up a narrative where like one of the monstars is overconfident about his killer crossover like it doesn't even go to those
1: like sports movie tropes like it was, it was the NFL blitz of uh NBA there you go
0: i just holding on to things like the monstars like you didn't know they could breathe fire until the last 15 minutes when they burn foghorn leghorn like <laughs> I'm glad you brought up NFL Blitz because it is kind of like, oh, by the way, like there's one more video game power up to get us to the next.
1: But that's just so like of the time.
0: Yeah. What are we doing with that information? Are we acknowledging that on some level it's valid because it was so of the time and that now like most of the way this movie is animated and like breaks the 2D plane seems a little gauche. Like, what are we saying?
1: Well, my big question about the genre of live action animated movies is why is this movie live action and also animated? Like, See, does, what purpose you, does that serve?
0: You raise a great point um, because one, I think. You can ask this. We should ask this about all three movies because the drawbacks to making a movie like this are so clear, right? Like, there's going to be fights over brand rights. There's going to be like naysayers beforehand. And there were, in the cases of two of these movies at least, who were like, don't do this. And the movies take forever in like set mapping and post production. And the benefits of doing them are really kind of. Unclear And amorphous right like Is michael jordan here Does michael well, jordan bring Does he bring levity to the tunes By like being a person in this
1: I think If these movies are successful It's because I mean It's they're only successful in like a financial Sense that right. you've Expanded what was a one market Or two market movie into A bigger one because Either you've done something technically interesting that people would want to see, or because you added live action to it, you've aged it up. Mm-hmm. So, but but they didn't. This movie wasn't aged up, right? So I don't think this movie. I really just think it was the fusion of two brands to make a lot of money with as much with as many people. As possible Tied together with one of the like Loosest storylines Of any children's movie That I've maybe ever seen
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: So I'm gonna have to While it's an interesting fossil From the 90's I'm gonna have to give it a bad bad
0: I thought you might And I I just I wanted to be a, like a Slightly more generous And on the side so- Because Of the ways in which we've acknowledged it's a total period piece. Like, maybe give it a generous good bad. Like, it's hard to watch. Watching this movie as an adult in 2016, like, it's a... Well, it's not hard. It's just, like, it's so not for you. And in that way, it is unpleasant. Um, So definitely a bad on the watchable side.
1: But But I wonder what, like, a kid today would think of it, like an 8-year-old what would they think of space jam
0: that is the main question that is the main question i think they
1: would think it was like the most confusing thing ever
0: all right so next up we're going to get into 1994's the page
1: master is that right noah and i just i just go nuts for that title just if we can start <laughs> right there like That's i great. like to say i like to the the phrase and now we transition to the page master What does that title evoke for you, my friend? Oh my god, it's, 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 I don't even know. It's just, it sounds like something authentic.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yes, that's a great point. A lot of things in this movie seem like they would be authentic, but then aren't.
1: Can I attempt to synopsize? Please. So the movie opens with Kevin McAllister. Mm-hmm. And the dad in such a nineties dad way, like wants him to be like a manly man when he grows up and like go out for football and lead all those, these like heteronormative ideas of what it should, you should be as a, as a someone born with uh male genitalia is supposed to be in this country. No. And uh, Kevin McAllister is clearly way smarter than both of his parents, so much so that he, like, reads uh, extensively on, like, just the real worries of this life. You know, like, he will be, like, a Bernie Sanders voter, like, having a lot of facts and <laughs> dictating most of his decisions, not necessarily, you know, on these big American ideals, but mostly on, like, research-based decision-making. hmm and for some reason, the movie decides to, like, just punish the hell out of him for, like, thinking this way. So yeah. much so that he, like, overhears his parents, like, you know, like, what are we going to do with this this kid? He's just the worst. Yep. And so in a Hail Mary effort to, like, keep this kid from being gay or something, Ed Begley Jr., gives him a fiver and says, go down to the hardware store and get me a pound of nails, son. Mm -hmm. For the uh, treehouse that Macaulay Culkin doesn't want. All
2: is possible. 20th Century Fox presents Macaulay Culkin as you've never seen him before.
1: Look at this place.
2: On a fantastic journey into a land of endless
1: wonders where he'll scale the heights of the world's greatest adventures. The perfect storm occurs, and there's, like, hail, and, like, all kinds of... Oh, There's, like, a run-in with another bunch of, like, very normal 90s bullies who, like, make fun of him for, like, being safe,
0: Mm -hmm. and... The the cast of Brink.
1: Yeah, and so he ends up at the library where he's holed up, uh, sort of, taking refuge, and... He, like, bumps his head or something after meeting the librarian and then, like, now we're in cartoon land and he has to basically learn how to have confidence that his way of thinking can be molded into a way that is, you know, in line with late 90s values. And he does that by interacting in a wishbone style uh, hero's quest through great literature.
0: He does. I like that you gave him much more of the necessary, like, political and individual agency that this movie did not. In fact, it gives him so little humanity that. The fact that he is this character who has to conquer fear in the book genres of horror, adventure, and fantasy doesn't even make sense because he's not scared of ideas. He's only scared of statistics.
1: Right. He's just scared of, like, the logical outcomes that may occur if you do stuff.
0: So for this movie to make sense, he needs to see Dr. Jekyll and be like there's a one in eight chance that every Henry Jekyll kills Kevin McAllister. Like like his fear does not relate to imagination. And that is the failure of this movie that I will never, ever understand to set.
1: Well, Well, yeah, keep going
0: to set this up. How difficult is it to have a scared kid who likes fiction, and literature find himself deep within the works he loves. Instead, you have a movie about a kid who has no interest in books. Yeah, books are not
1: even referenced until he gets to the library. The kid who likes to read has to go
0: into books. How hard is that?
1: I mean, that's kind of the point of the movie. it, It teaches him how to be brave. But also, like in an intellectual sense, where he's like aware of canonical literature,
0: right? But so haphazardly that those things are not related in the main character,
1: or at least in the exposition of the film. Yeah.
0: Oh, good God. Um, yeah. So one of the things about this movie is it's it's a what a hot seventy-three minutes. It's not. <laughs> it's not super long. I think. You spend f- maybe 15 minutes in live action um, With Macaulay Culkin And actually some of the, you know Coming out of watching Space Jam There are moments where it was like Oh, that shot of the library is pretty good It's like Christopher Lloyd is lit in that certain way As the crazy librarian Or Macaulay right. is dwarfed by the size of these shelves In like this New York City library That's been transplanted to a small suburb Um but then he becomes uh he becomes a cartoon and that's sort of you only have the really the one scene where they're mixing, right? Where like the the paint and ink of the books and the melting mural on top is kind of chasing a live action uh Macaulay Culkin. But I just think there really should have been more live action to kind of establish this before the big transition, don't you think?
1: Well, what I find so fascinating about this movie and uh, Macaulay Culkin's involvement in it is I think that the reason it is so animated and not terribly live is the fact that the Macaulay Culkin thing is only to get people who are fans of Home Alone into this movie. But ultimately, the movie is only a cartoon of Macaulay Culkin and him saying things like, yeah, and come here, guys. Like, most of the action of the movie and most of the, like, dialogue of the movie is Christopher Lloyd, Whoopi Goldberg, and uh, who's the other one?
0: Patrick Stewart.
1: Patrick Stewart. And Macaulay Culkin doesn't say very much. Like, it's mostly just, like, it's audio clips from, like, you could have pulled it from My Girl in the first Home Alone and probably have it made sense.
0: Yeah. So it's, I
1: think that's that's what's sort of sneaky about the movie
0: is that most of it was him in a sound booth going, oh, oh, ah, like, doing, like, screaming sound effects by himself. Like, I think Macaulay
1: Culkin's commitment to this, like, pretty major animated film for the time, uh, that he is the only character, really, in the... even on the poster and any of the marketing campaigns, I think his commitment to this movie must have been, like, uh, a week, ten days.
0: It is interesting. I think, like, one of the few... And I'm, I guess I'm kind of tipping my hand here. One of the few good things about this movie is that, like Macaulay Culkin, as everyone knows, is just a pretty good child actor because he can right. convince he can convince you of like really the only two things you need to know. One is that he's excessively precocious, and the other is that he loves his family. And even in ten minutes here, he's able to accomplish that again.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, as hard as I'm being on this movie. I think it's, like, pretty... I think it's pretty well-constructed. I mean, other than, the yes, the plot hole of... Other than, once they get to the animated worlds, it's basically the same plot structure as a movie like Inside Out. I think that's really being rude to Inside Out. You establish, like, a baseline of, like, what this world's supposed to look like, and then you have them, oh, we need to get back, and then through these crazy characters they find their way to this sort of ambiguous exit sign, which represents home. And it's like the basic animated brave little toaster inside out. um, (sighs) I'm sure there's more kind of structure.
0: I I think the rudeness to inside out there is because like, that's really only looking at like the interstate of the movie. And one of the ways in which the page master is so lazy and the ways in which, like, Pixar never is, is that, like, every little signpost, every little corner of Pixar is kind of prodded at, either for a joke or something that relates back to the larger narrative or to help you understand the system that you're seeing. And the Pagemaster has scenes where, like, it doesn't even look like they finished animating them. It looks like they ran out of money, like, when they're doing <laughs> the dragon sequence at the end. Like, there is nothing in the scene except white or, like, like a light shade of pink, where they finish coloring the page, and the dragon, and the characters—like there's no detail. This is a very like shoestring or lazy
1: movie. I don't know, but at the same time, like there's a, f- a couple funny sight gags when like Macaulay Culkin gets knocked down by Atlas shrugs, yeah, okay. which is sort of funny. Um, and but then, then like, like why? What I'm gonna say about this movie is. I think like it's it's what it meant to do was way smarter than what it ended up doing.
0: Yes, that's true. That's good.
1: Like I think it's its goals were pretty admirable and you can tell that like the people behind this movie like have that sort of like they have so many PBS tote bags for all the donations they've given kind of <laughs> yeah that's the sort of moral- like nineties morality we're dealing with here, which you know was how I was raised, and I'm sure that like I don't know like why I didn't see this is my first time seeing the pagemaster um I'm oh. not sure why my parents didn't force me to see it. I don't think this movie was very successful.
0: It only made thirteen million dollars, so no so th-
1: there it is. But
0: um, you're right though like the intentions are admirable But the weird thing about this movie is that Once he gets into the scenes With the classic lit characters It's almost like they didn't Like it's almost like They didn't read the books Or like didn't want to exert the energy to figure out like, Well that was how the
1: thing too They're like, They were sort of like the shine a light literary Kind of people Where like they only understood Like one bit of All these classic books
0: Right Like once you get in there Like Dr. Jekyll is the first person that they meet in the Pagemaster He doesn't have anything to say to these guys Other than like Welcome to my house I'm about to become Mr. Hyde Like he has no lines of consequence And neither do Captain Ahab And uh, neither do the Like the tying up people in Gulliver's Travels Like it's all just Like sight
1: Sight gags Yeah and the the dragon, what? I'm not even sure what that was specifically. I really from.
0: loved the fact that by the time it got to the third level, the fantasy level, it was not even referencing a book, but rather just like a trope of fairy tale. Right. <laughs>
1: this is what's in fantasy.
0: Well, I'm ultimately going to rate this movie bad, bad, and let's pile on the evidence. I do not appreciate the romantic relationship between the books. No, oh, thank yeah, you. you. You got my
1: text right when I was just like, oh, I don't like the books are kissing. So Noah.
0: This is This is a clear, bad, bad for me, and please do not say that it's good, bad.
1: I No, 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 I'm going to say that it's it's bad, good. Bad, good. I have to say that, like, I enjoyed what this movie set out to do, which was to, like, you know, talk about it was it's basically like that iconic David Bowie poster that just says, "Read on it," and it's him reading a book. And I like that sort of... Oh, for God's sake. I like that feeling. That's just sort of like positive. Well, these movies, I guess what the point is that I'm trying to make about these movies in general is that they're all propaganda. Yeah, yeah. So Michael, the Michael Jordan, the Space Jam was Michael Jordan propaganda. This one is at least propaganda in the way that you had those like old library read posters in the library when you were in elementary school. It's the same thing, except this one wasn't as successful because books are boring.
0: Well, and it's not as smart as the books. It's not even as smart as the great illustrated classic versions of the
1: books. I'm not saying it's a great movie Or even a good movie I'm just saying It's a watchable movie With some pretty Admirable themes (sighs) Okay
0: Let's uh Why don't we move on To the uh The one that started it all 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit
1: Who indeed (laughs) Did you my head one more time? Roger, I kept on your head 23 times already. I can take it.
0: Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the refrigerator.
2: This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a and out private detective hey, named Eddie Valiant. Ooga-booga! Every moment they were together was a new adventure in trouble. This
0: will be one of the interesting ones to talk about what lands with kids versus what lands with adults. Because on the one hand, you have the noir of Bob Hoskins being a like late 40s Hollywood um, private eye. With some scenes very reminiscent of Hail Caesar, in fact. Um, right. Only this is a world where people interact with cartoons and cartoons are actors and celebrities in this like version of the golden age of Hollywood. And Bob Hoskins is like a failed alcoholic who used to run a PI business with his brother who was killed when a cartoon dropped a piano on him. So now he has this thing where he like is very, Uh, Hateful toward cartoons And he refuses to work with him But the first case that you see Is Roger Rabbit Who's this animated star An actual rabbit At the time uh, The studio wants him to uh, To know that his wife Jessica Rabbit Who I found out Not a rabbit When I watched this movie for the first time uh, No it's his last name Right um, When I watched it for the first time in 20 years She's an animated human Um Bob Hoskins has to take some pictures. Eddie Valiant has to take some... Eddie Not-So-Valiant has to take some pictures. Uh, so uh, in something that develops into like a large sort of corporate LA like land deal conspiracy. Shall we right, go from there? It's basically
1: there? season two of True Detective, but with cartoons. That's
0: right. Yeah. With, with a little Chinatown sprinkled in.
1: Okay. So yeah, this this movie is interesting because it is... The first time this has ever been done, save for like some pretty silly, like set pieces in Disney movies from like 10, uh, from like 30 years previous. Right. Like bed knobs and broomsticks or something. But this is the first time that you have like real tracking shots with cartoons and humans in them at the same time and the cartoons being more in the real world than vice versa. Yeah. Part
0: of what made this feel like it, it registered with me as such a big undertaking is not only the 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 combination, the hybridity of what we're of what we're talking about, but the fact that this movie, sort of against all odds, I think, when you're talking about why these movies get made, like why do this, why do these movies exist? In some ways, like look at a movie like Space Jam. Like, the cartoons are there for the purposes of, like, lunacy to, like, you know, pun intended, um, to make sure that, like, there there are no rules in this universe. Michael Jordan can turn into a ball and, like, fly to the center of the Earth and, like, there are no rules of physics. Who framed Roger Rabbit? One of the most impressive, and I have to imagine, demanding things about it is this is its own universe with very intense rules about like how these people interact, uh, and it's all inflected by Hollywood and like noir tropes and jokes for adults, and so yeah, you, you're like wrangling in these cartoons into this universe that has stipulations. It's a, kind of amazing.
1: Right, and that's I, I, What I like about this movie that the other two Movies don't do Is the is, ta- is Wrestle at least, if not completely Tackle the idea of Like reconciling What we like about Cartoons and why they're not Live action like, right. what What's the purpose of animation At that sort of caricature Looney Tune Level, it's not trying to represent Humanity, it's Something else entirely, and I, that's the funny thing that the sort of that the movie the Whoof and Roger Rabbit tackles
0: you're you're so right. they are like it's asking you to find the lovability in these characters that when they are on screen with humans, are like they're inhuman their their inhumanity is like screaming at you like literally and aesthetically.
1: But it's also hysterically funny that, like, you know, when Bob Hoskins thinks that they're, him and Roger Rabbit are safe, like, hidden behind that fake wall. And then uh, Christopher Lloyd just goes, and, and like, that's what's going to give him up. And then it cuts to Roger Rabbit. He's just, like, losing his shit on this bar stool. He's such a showman. Because he cannot not do it back. Yeah, which is just so it's there's just something so ridiculous about it <laughs> because the, the, the humans have to play by the same rules as the tunes. Yep.
0: You want to talk Zemeckis real quick? Like the camera in this movie really from the opening scene. I, again, I hadn't watched this since I was a very little kid. Um, yeah in the too. opening scene, I, I I completely forgot that it's different. like the the original scene with roger rabbit and and baby Herman. Is happening but if you don't remember You don't know that it's unfolding as part of a movie That they're shooting together as Working performers um, right. And so it's like a little It's like more over the top though not That much more over the top than what Roger's going to do the rest of the movie But like the perspective of the Camera as it's like swooping around the kitchen And like it continues they really Got like an ambitious cinematic Director to do this Silly right. thing
1: It's interesting that the only sort of question I have about this movie and just, like, the choice that it made is... Did you watch BoJack Horseman? No, I haven't. Okay, well, like, the conceit of that... Well, it's it's sort of similar in that it's animated, um, but it's not... But, but the idea that, like, these characters that we know and love, like, a horse... BoJack Horseman plays this horse that adopts, like, three uh, orphans, and, like, it's a 90s sitcom or something, but, like, right. he's a whore. But it's, like, a silly... Anyway, but the whole point is that, like, BoJack Horseman who plays this character is like not a nice person. Right. <laughs> like uh, like the father is in this show. I think it's interesting that the Looney Tunes in it like are not they don't have two they don't even have, they don't have three dimensions. They don't even have two dimensions in some cases. Mm-hmm. That they're not sort of and th- that is striking because you have Bob Hoskins is such like a vice-fueled human. Then right. it's weird to see that these like what they play off of. The only way that this is a children's film is the fact that these half the characters in the movie, by definition, are two dimensional.
0: You have a person who is like truly addicted to brown liquor, um right. on, the, on the one side, who uh, like you can imagine yeah, he's he having a just...
1: sort of like lost weekend
0: yeah who and you can imagine as an adult his pulsing headache as rogers talking at the volume and pitch he's talking at like that right. contrast is striking
1: so what do you think kids get out of this movie cuz i remember as a kid when i watched this just being confused and sort of scared
0: i think that kids must get the larger Beats that I as an adult Like found really trying You know like I, I won't spoil it But like at the end of the movie when when Like Roger and, and Jessica are, are tied together and they're in Grave peril like the Grave peril Approaches them five Different times and you're like oh My god like how did we Get here like and that's the part That I have to imagine that I was Kind of sitting through where I was like oh if you're a kid You kind of love how ramped up this is right. but but the like some of the monologues that are delivered the references to talking about chinatown or talking about toontown as though it had the water rights that john houston wants in chinatown like there's no way a kid is following that
1: right and there's no way a kid can appreciate like the alcoholism aspect no. of this movie like this dude is living Like, basically at the bar slash this Murphy bed in his office and drinking away every dollar he earns while he's in this sort of, like, abusive relationship with the bartender who owes the bar money paying for his drinks on top of that.
0: So my question then is did it work for you because the part the part that I where I felt pulled was the feel that I was watching a movie that's details and speeches and some of its human shadings were for adults but that its like larger beats were for kids and I really appreciated some of the small moments but I did find myself like still kind of frustrated that I was like watching something that was going to end and take so long ending the way that it did. Although I did like this movie, i just constantly felt pulled between those things. Like the, like the over, like the overtones of the endeavor were not for me, even while maybe 70% of the content was.
1: Interesting. I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you. Um, because I don't think it ultimately subscribes to, like, the tropes of a children's film. I think it just ultimately subscribes to the tropes of an animated film. Yeah. Where, and it knows, like, what it, it has to do something visually in, a, like, a climactic sort of way to be a movie. And it's also, like, it it's what it has to say about Hollywood and about you know, like, land development and, like, corporate greed or whatever, is, like, what I felt was missing from a movie like Hail Caesar uh, that I wished it had more of. So I I was almost hoping for more of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit when going into Hail Caesar.
0: With these criticisms, though, I still am going to give it a good good, though.
1: Oh, I'm right there with you, yeah. Yeah, it, it,
0: it is a weird movie, and it is a little frustrating, but, like, if you're just making a list of the things that you're surprised by that it does well on a small level, like that's a long list.
1: And also like, because we're talking about these movies as a genre, as the genre, this is the only movie that has justified it even existing. Right. Like the other two, I don't think actually need to be (laughs) both live action and animated. Like, the Pagemasters should have just been all animated. I don't know that Space Jams should necessarily exist.
0: The strange thing about these movies is to do it really well, like Roger Rabbit does, you're doing this incredible technical achievement, but by doing this sort of movie with like the inherent inclusion of low culture, you're kind of hiding the fact that you achieved anything. But in order to do it, Like, well, I think at least in this small sample, you see that, like, to justify the existence of a movie like this, you have to, you really have to put some work in, like, visually and in terms of, like, thinking about what the relationship is going to be between these, like, two, like, different sides of entertainment. And maybe that's... The Deceptive thing and why it was a good decision I think on your part for us to kind of go Backward in time is as you sort Of see some people who are like oh like Yeah maybe we could do that but You kind of can't do it offhand. I don't think I don't think it can be done
1: Well I think the success of Roger Rabbit is ultimately A fluke Like this is This should not be a genre Of movie right because it, yes. it only makes sense in very Specific contexts And it seems as though Hollywood has only thought of really one.
0: Yeah. And if you go back and read about what the larger takeaway from Roger Rabbit was, it was just that there was increased... Inspiration and money put behind new animated movies, which led to some of the Disney neo classics in the late '80s and early '90s, and ultimately like brings us into Pixar. So like, if, right? Yeah, if you want to think about it on that level, it's not that it created or staked its own territory as a genre. It's that it took a very well traveled, very reliable live action genre and then just put some spark
1: into animation. Yeah. Again. And I think yeah, and I think just on a narrative level it succeeds. Uh, the ending is a little bit throwaway, but yeah. I think it's forgivable just for the achievement of stuff it it to do.
0: Yeah, it's scary. Pretty creeps. Pretty creeps.
1: Pretty creeps. Christopher. Well, pal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> God damn it.
2: <laughs> we don't need to talk about Christopher
0: we don't need to talk about Christopher Lloyd but like I was just thinking about the fact that he's in two of these movies and That's like interesting what he's in-, in two of
1: these movies well, there's like this moment in the page master where they're like trying to set up this excruciating cross dissolve where Christopher Lloyd's face is in the whole frame watching Macaulay Culkin leave this library. Yeah. And for the first like three seconds of the shot, you know what he's thinking It's like, oh, I hope this boy gets home safe. But then like the next three seconds, you have no idea what he could possibly be thinking with that same expression on his face.
0: Like what was at the top of. Or like, what did it say? As like, sort of like the main line on his resume in those years, like "kook for hire," like, <laughs> like "angels Brode. in the outfield." Yeah, like, will do the Doc Broad thing. Can do evil. Can do good. Like, works well Don't with children.
1: Really <laughs> will work for food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh it's so God. interesting that he was for a time like kind of that, you know, other Robin Williams. You know.
0: Yeah, well, kind of like the shadow Robin Williams, who had no right. like am- he had no ambition toward larger things. He was just like, "Oh, I really like kids. I work well with kids." And you're like, "Oh, do you, Christopher Lloyd?" But the, like the evidence right. the evidence. I don't is like the there. way
1: you say you like kids, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. I know what you mean, but I don't like the way you phrased it,
0: buddy. Um, this is quite <laughs> this a this is a great This is quite a movie. category
1: to talk about, and uh, really left me. Pretty stunned, uh, watching <laughs> three of these, three of these movies. Pretty in pretty close, uh, you know, time.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys, Listen to past episodes of the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you all so much, Noah. Happy one year anniversary to you. We've now been doing this for a whole year.
1: My God, congratulations yep. to yes. both of us, buddy. Hell?
2: I'm really the end of it, and that's all, folks. <laughs>